0: Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Complex Industries, presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. On each episode, we feature conversations about the latest challenges, strategies, and technologies for B2B marketers. I'm your host, Scott Troban, and as VP of Creative at Godfrey, I help our team unlock the amazing potential of the brands we serve. On this episode, I'm pleased to welcome Paul Shariari. Paul is an authority on sustainability, high performance green building, and the application of technology to the design and construction process. He's also the chief innovation officer and founder of Ecomedes, a cloud-based technology platform designed to simplify sustainability and ESG-driven decision-making. Very excited to have this conversation with Paul today. Uh, We are joined by Godfrey's senior strategist, Donna Harris for a very enlightening and interesting conversation. Stay with us. All right. Uh, Hi, uh, Paul, uh, Donna. It's good to have both of you here on the podcast today. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm actually coming to you from a, a building uh, project in progress. I thought that was appropriate. Uh, I do like to, to bring personal examples sometimes into this work. Uh, this is my, my basement office and studio that I'm currently in the process of building. So uh, Paul, if you do have any, um, if you have any advice or anything for me over the course of the podcast today, I'm all ears. Uh, but I'm very interested in what you do at uh, at ecomedes um, but first you know we're talking about ESG it would be really good for our audience just to make sure that we're all on the same page uh, I'd love if you would define ESG for us and talk just a little bit about that up front
1: Great thank you uh, so much for that introduction uh so e s g to me is is obviously the the standard definition is environmental social, and governance and i when I think about it, I kind of rearrange the letters a little bit as an engineer. I always feel like i I, I should do that for myself and I kind of start with the g and the governance or as i call it for for most normal friends of mine you know guidelines like you have to operate with good governance, good guidelines on what it means to be a good organization, to be a good steward as a corporation or a manufacturer. And then the E, you know, what are you doing around the environmental impacts, both positive and negative about what you do in, in the space and then the S becomes a social part of it. So do you t- treat the planet and do you treat the people both in your business but also ex- all the externalities of a business? They're very complicated supply chains that we deal with in the built environment. So I kind of look at ESG as like doing good for the planet, doing good for the people, but also making sure you have the right guidelines in place to, to guide your your processes as you make decisions in business. Now with
0: uh, with Echamedes, uh, we should and I'm, I am saying that right, correct? Yep. Good. Uh, with, with Ecomedes, I wanted to, to talk a little bit about that because I love a good, uh, like five word pitch for a product. Like I remember hearing the movie speed, uh, uh, described as die hard on a bus. And that told me everything I needed to know. And you've got a very, very similar sort of uh, sales pitch for Ecomedes that I heard recently. And I'd love if you'd share that with us. What, what does Ecomedes do?
1: So we're a cloud-based technology platform designed to simplify sustainability and ESG decision-making. So we kind of bring all the data together and make it really, really easy for you to pick the right product, the right solution, so that ultimately your building becomes better from an ROI standpoint, better from an environmental standpoint, and better from a social standpoint.
0: Very good. Uh, And I I heard you refer to it recently as uh, basically Whole Foods for green building. Correct? Yeah.
1: So we try to grab all the ingredients that would make the best kit apart. So, like for the wood behind you, I'd be probably asking you, where did it come from? Some of it looks like it was salvaged from another project. So that was good. You didn't go buy new lumber. And then, you know, was it responsibly, you know, harvested? So I think with everything that we do, we obviously have a limit to how much time we can spend on decisions. But I think if you can give people the better choice, Without them having to kind of rack their brains, it, it, it makes it very easy for people to choose organic milk versus maybe non-organic or, you know, um, vegetables or, or, you know, strawberries that are, that are not with pesticides. You know, I think that's becoming more and more in vogue. And certainly over the last 20 years, we've seen that dramatically increase with both consumers, but also now the consumers of companies, which are the investors, they want to have better data to make a decision of or which brand to, to invest in.
0: Absolutely. And it, it does become good business as well. I mean, we're in a situation now, uh, you and I were talking before about how lumber prices are, are pretty high. I mean, it's, it's been an issue with a lot of people that are doing building projects. Uh, but when you're looking at uh, somebody who's made forms for like a concrete sidewalk, what do they do with those two by fours afterward? Right. Uh, they can you, know, you can you can absolutely reuse them uh, which is abs- which is terrific uh, from a cost standpoint as well as a responsibility standpoint. So there are multiple good reasons to be thinking that way yep. yeah very good um, so let's let's dive into it a little bit. Um, how long have you been your founder and CEO so how long have you been working uh, in this space with this particular uh, entity?
1: Well, we founded uh, EcoMedia's in 2016. I am no longer the CEO, Kathleen Egan. Uh, We brought uh, Kathleen on in 2019 to become our CEO. Uh, She's doing a fantastic job. But the founding team really kind of started the whole process by trying to make it easier for people to leverage data and turn raw data and certification information into intelligence. Because just looking at a certificate and having certain products that might have five or six certificates, it's really kind of hard to kind of make sense of all of it. So we kind of founded EcoMedia's Uh, we named it after Archimedes, the the kind of mathematician that founded the the principle of leverage. We said, you know, if you can get the right information in the hands of the right decision maker at the right time, you can actually create much better, better decision making. So you can make a decision, save lots of kilowatts. If you're going to buy a thousand light bulbs for a building, it's going to save a certain amount of kilowatts for the next 20 years. So if you buy a better water heater, like you talked about at the thing with a heat pump attached to it, it's going to be cost effective from day one and lower your utility bill dramatically. So you know, Not everyone wants to go build their own spreadsheet. So at EcomEDES, we kind of grab the data and add the analysis to help everyone make a better decision whether or not they, as my, some of my team members mean, we don't need to have a PhD in sustainability to pick a better appliance, pick a better light bulb, pick a better carpet. We do that work for you and then you just pick the one from the brand you like the most.
0: Well, it's, it's really a reduction of friction uh, in terms of that entire process, a consolidation of it, making it accessible. If, uh, you know, I, I would want to recycle, but if I had to bundle everything up and take it somewhere in order to do it uh, as a busy homeowner, I would be less likely to than I am if they're going to stop by and pick it up at the curb. Uh, yeah. It's a sim- similar sort of thing, right? Making it simple, making it easy to make those good decisions and to do it in an informed manner
1: yeah because i think the the biggest worry that i always have is like if there's too much change management involved with doing something more sustainable or there's too much cognitive load too much thinking you have to do most people kind of you know get distracted and go somewhere else so kind of follow the the amazon you know opportunity like if it's prime available you're just going to do it like i'll unfortunately catch myself going i'll just buy it and i'll be here tomorrow. I don't have to leave the couch. you know. I think Netflix the same way I'm gonna watch any TV show without even going to draw, you know, the, the red box, right? So there's all these examples that other industries have made it a lot easier to be a customer, to be a consumer, to get your results. I think we have to definitely simplify sustainability rapidly to allow us to scale solutions because right now the complexity is the biggest constraint. Right, that is that is what is really kind of bogged it down. So we have to be mindful of making it easier for our customers, for you know our brands, the people that we both serve in manufacturing. You know, you guys as marketers and us as technologists, we have to make it easier for them to connect with their buyers quickly.
0: So that brings up a really good point, Donna. As a strategist at Godfrey, uh, talk to me a little bit about the. The position that people are finding themselves in the marketplace. I mean, this is this has always been, I think, a, a bit of a cerebral hot topic, but it's it's becoming much more of a practical need uh, at, at this at this stage. Give us. Yeah. A little bit of, of I, I think
2: that um, back when Paul and I first started working together, it was all about um, how green is your product and what goes into a given product, and it was very much about green and sustainability and maybe your um operations, right? But now it is a bigger conversation. It's a conversation about looking at um, other things such as social and um, you know, so it is a much bigger conversation. It's looking at it not just at the product level, but at the at the corporate, at the entity level. And the information is um, being shared with a lot more stakeholders. Than,
0: than was um, in the past. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about how we're developing uh, we're developing more of the sustainability reports, that kind of messaging across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there were some some clients that we have that, that work in in industries that uh, you know. Sustainability is is a, a, a key concern. It's a it's a key uh, messaging point. It's a key uh, focus for the company, but we've really seen it you know, broaden out to just about everybody at this point.
2: Absolutely, it's not just um, public companies. It's not just large global entities. I think it is all size companies, and it is. Um, every industry segment that we work in. I know, I know, Paul, you particularly focus on the built environment, and maybe you want to share how that has shifted, but we've definitely seen it across all of our clients, including the built environment clients.
1: Yeah, I think the the built environment sometimes, you know, was some of the early forefront of sustainability in the early 2000s with, with LEED and other rating systems coming online when we were first working together, Donna. I think that's evolved now to the fact that certainly during the pandemic, we all realized, like, what our buildings do for us, how they sustain us, how they move air around, how they can be cleaned. There was so much like focus on that. And then we all went back to our houses for an extended period of time and realized maybe my house isn't really as livable as I thought it was. And do I have a place to, to have five different people in our house learning at the same time or two people on conference calls and the other kids e-learning. And, you know, so I think there's been such a focus on, on how sustainability uh, is, is, implemented throughout the entire economy, but the built environment is somewhere where as Americans, we spend 95% of our times indoors. And guess what? Those buildings are going to be going through like a little bit of a renaissance. And like, is it a healthy place? Is it a good place? Does it take too many of the resources off the grid? Does it encumber too much carbon onto the economy? Right? All these questions are coming up and they're not just coming up because a single architect asked for it. It's like, entire swaths of the marketplace want to make sure that they're doing the right thing. So I think it's, it's a, it's a wonderful time to be in this space and it's so exciting to see so much interest in stuff that we've been hoping people would want to talk about. And now they're asking us like, well, what should we do? What should we be considering? And I think it's, it's a great time.
0: It's been an interesting shift. I have a a friend uh, who graduated high school with me 20 some odd years ago, and uh, started his own uh, electrical business as as just an electrician. And he was doing typical wiring for buildings, but his passion was always solar. And so he started doing that uh, a little bit and bringing it in. I touched base with him recently. We hadn't spoken in a few years, and he's doing solely that now, exclusively solar, and is extremely busy with it, and so that was a really good benchmark for me about the way that the the market, uh, at a very practical level, has moved. I mean, there's there's so much more so much more interest and importance being put on uh, sustainable, but also really efficient forms of of uh, building and electricity.
1: Yeah, I think energy efficiency was always popular, but then you know beyond energy efficiency, rapidly renewable, you know. Sources of renewable sources of energy have become really kind of in vogue and then just a resilient grid making sure that, you know, we don't have like the gigantic massive power outage that we had in, in, in Texas, right? You know, making sure that if the power grid goes out, can you still run your home? Can you still be safe after a hurricane? You know, we have solar on our roof and it's been great, but you know, they're 10 years old and I'm looking at some of the panels and they they're not lasting as long as I thought they were going to be. I mean, they're supposedly lasting 25 years. Well, I can tell you the ones on my house. They're probably going to give me about 12 and a half years, maybe 15, right at the time when that ROI was going to kick in. So I won't have another 10 years of free electricity. I'll probably have to upgrade my panels because they just didn't last as long. So there's always this need and tension to kind of figure out what is going to work, what feels good. Like I feel good about getting most of my energy from my home, not from a coal-burning power plant. But, you know, in the end, I might not be throwing away these, you know, these solar panels and having to go buy another whole set before my mortgage, you know, runs out. So those are all kind of important things to think about when you're looking at a sustainable alternative is like valuing that, that benefit of being an early adopter and then seeing as the market evolves, what are those like market rate, you know, rated products?
0: Um, How have uh, in, in, this is really a question directed at both of you. uh, How have you seen the evolution of ESG related positions grow in companies? You know, they're, they're, Hiring things that are, are, or hiring folks that are specifically geared toward uh, these these efforts. Do you want to take that one first? Uh,
2: yeah, so for, for me, what I've noticed is uh, it's not just about a single position anymore. It's no longer just a sustainability officer, or director of sustainability, but it's more um, what I would call almost like task force, you know, multifunctional teams responsible Um, so you have everyone from HR to, you know, somebody from representing the financial group and the investors and, um, marketing and, I mean, communications is, is really a critical component of this. So you see this triage, if you will, of folks who are working through this as opposed to just one person being responsible or even a department being responsible. I mean, that's what we're seeing with our clients. I don't know if you're seeing a similar thing, um, Paul, with some of the folks you're working with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I think it is a team approach just because ESG or even sustainability before, you know, the ESG became the the term, you have to have a multidisciplinary team because to do it right and to really integrate it into your ethos, you have to have people that are sourcing your materials, then designing your products, doing design for the environment, then the ones that actually work on the assembly line, optimizing all the, the, the production line stuff, even down to the how do you ship it? How do you... You know, recycle it. How do you bring it back as a technical nutrient into your into your production line so future generations of products can be made off of the the raw materials that are already you know in your customers you know uh, possession? So I think it's a very very important thing to have a, a tiger team, a special forces team, have somebody maybe that's still like where the buck stops, you know, some, some leader of, of that effort. But I think it's really important to make sure that your teams inside your organization all understand what you're striving for and all understand that they have a, an ability to make a change that affects the entire company and everyone that works for it and everyone that gets products from it.
2: Yeah, and I think um, to that point, you know, what I've also seen is this is now coming down directly from the CEO. This is something that um, CEOs in, in companies across, you know, the globe are are really focused on. It is, you know, looking at everything from diversity and inclusion and those kind of policies to supplier policies, you know. So looking at things across the board because, let's face it, um, at the end of the day, um, it's about how you function as a good corporate citizen. It's about the profitability of your company. Um, it's about all of those things. So it is. Uh, it really has to be led at the, at the top of the organization to be successful.
0: I think along with that uh, and, and kind of that, uh, that, that public desire to see those efforts get attention, um, I think along with that, sort of the, the, the cynical side of it, you also start to see companies that maybe inflate the numbers a little bit of, of what exactly they're doing. Uh, we've heard the term greenwashing before. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that as like the, the sort of like shadow side byproduct of, of where the market's headed.
1: Well, I think that's always, you know, whenever you have a lot of interest in something and it becomes the thing that everyone has to talk about, then there's always a risk of people coming in and making uh, proclamations or declarations. I, I think, you know, the market's already kind of pretty wise to that. There's FTC guidelines on what environmental claims you can make. So I think, you know, and also I think the, the, the bigger risk is, is probably not the FTC, but I think if you make claims to be pro-environment or pro-social justice or pro any of these kind of like topics that we're all struggling with right now, and you get caught making a misstatement that's pretty dramatically, you know, Pinocchio or whatever they do when they have politicians doing yeah. their debates. I think the risk financially of getting caught making an exaggeration is worse than just saying, OK, we're not going to say anything until we have something decent enough to say or is that something that can be substantiated. I don't think the risk for greenwashing is all that high, but I do believe that there's going to be a lot of people running into it and they'll they'll make some mistakes. Investors will make some mistakes. Some companies might make some mistakes or do something and try it. And just realize that that didn't work, you know, there've been plenty of companies that have reformulated products to be supposedly more recycled or this and that and realized like it didn't live up to the brand expectation of maybe durability. So, you know, or, or biodegraded quicker than than it in, intended to. So I think there's there's always going to be a little bit of that, but I'm just happy that people are talking about it in a proactive way. And most of the people, I think, are always going to be on the side of we want to do better. We want to learn how to be better. As long as we know it's an evolutionary process, we should be good.
0: Yeah, I think that's also the uh, another reason why designations like FSC certification and, and things like that are so important. Because uh, so I remember in the early days of, of that, um, we could actually make those choices with regard to printers, uh, with regard to even just the paper stock or, or anything like that. Um, and then I started to see it on lumber. I started to see it everywhere else. And pretty soon it became table stakes. Uh, So that's sort of the way that I see these things, uh, you know, moving as, as, as time progresses, right. They're going to become, uh, you know, much more table stakes, but the idea that there is some kind of a designation that you can achieve that actually proves what you're doing, I think is, is healthy. Do you, do you see, see it that way as well?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the data driven decision-making is part of what, the G and ESG is all about. It's like the governance and the, how are you tracking? You've made a proclamation. I, I've been working on this uh, acronym. Did you know the D is for declarations? the hard part is the implementation, and then the other D is documentation. So you declare you're going to be carbon neutral and net zero by 2050. You figure out your implementation strategy on how to get there You know, by saving watts and generating your own green watts and then buying offsets wherever you, you can. And then all, ultimately documenting like this is how much energy we use and this is the pie chart and this is how much came from greener. This is how much came from reduction. So Being very transparent about the ESG, you know, frameworks, I think that's really helpful. And I think there's a lot of different standards that are kind of going to bubble up, no different than the green building standards that started with buildings and they went to products. And then now we have like over, I think the last time I was on an EPA uh, webinar with them, they said there's over 300 active eco labels, you know, in the U.S. alone tied to things around buildings. I mean, that's just a lot. It's a lot for consumers. Sometimes when you go and buy eggs, you know, I don't know which... One to get? Is it the free range? Is it the organic free range? Is it the cage free? You know, it's like, there's, I just want eggs. I just want an omelet. My wife's <laughs> like, did you get the right eggs? I said, I don't know. I think I did. So I think, I think that's, that's going to happen. But it's, it's good that people want to have this conversation. And transparency is like the underlying framework, I think, that everyone's looking for and striving for. So that's good.
0: I, I think transparency is a good term. That's a good, a good place to, uh, good place to be oriented, a good, a good thing to pursue. Um, absolutely. Um, when it comes to measuring and evaluating and, and reporting on these initiatives, what kind of standardizations do you see on the horizon? Like where, where do you think we're going to be headed? We talked a lot I, about you know, how we got to where we are now. But you know, (laughs) getting your crystal ball out. Like, what else? What else can you see happening into the future?
1: I think standardization by first we're going to have to have like one big umbrella that kind of defines what the ESG stands for. So I think you know parameters around social equity, social justice, and that those those are going to have to become you know created. So it's like at the board level, at your management level you know, inclusion at all your, you know, corporate levels, right? That's going to be, you know, fairly you know straightforward in terms of its structure. On the environmental side, certain industries obviously have certain things that they have to care about, and some industries don't have an impact or have a very slight impact. So, I think kind of starting with the biggest rocks, you know, and getting those organized in the right way, and then as it gets more into a certain subset like buildings, you know, there's an ESG standard called GRES for the real estate you know, design and construction industry, that one's kind of seeming to be the one that that's kind of gravitating towards like how do you measure a building of various types against its energy, its water, its waste footprint, what kind of materials are they buying? Like, so I think every one of the industry segments we care about, whether it's energy or transportation, hospitality, they'll all end up coming up with their own like rubric of what is green for them. And then all the the brands and all the organizations will kind of probably hopefully kind of get in line and start reporting things in a similar way. Like if you're a beverage company, you should be measured like all the other beverage companies. I don't want Delta giving me a report the same way Coca-Cola gives me a report. Some of the metrics might be the same, like energy consumption, you know, and you can normalize that against revenue or something, but it's still going to be a little bit of early days where we got to kind of crawl, walk, run. As long as we're all talking about, you know, some of the same uniform uh, metrics, like how many percent do you have in your leadership ranks that are women? Like, Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a, how many are, you know, of, of various religions, how many are in various, you know, sexual orientations, like all of that stuff is important so that you truly have like at least a picture of how diverse are you? Because I truly believe the most diverse teams come up with the most applicable answers because the answers we need for some of these challenges are ubiquitous. They're global. They're not one group of people can come up with their own you know, solution set. Uh, do, do you agree with that, Donna?
2: Yeah, I've seen a lot of our clients um, this past year. Um, there's some UN standards mm-hmm. that um, they seem to uh, seem to be consistently reporting against um, in their sustainability reports and on their, you know, um, sort of their ESG programs that they're putting into place. So, like the
1: the SDGs and the ESG, is that what mm-hmm. you're saying?
2: Yeah. Um, And so I guess that's as close as we can get to some form of standardization at the moment. Yeah, I would agree. From a uh,
0: simply from a design standpoint, I I think back to when the uh, the current like nutrition label information uh, format came out and uh, how everybody got compliant with that very quickly. And that was no small feat with the with the the. The the millions of products that are on shelves across the country, for all of them to be able to adopt this same format and to do it to spec so consistently, um, I I feel like I I get a glimpse of what standardization in other ways in the future is going to look like, right? Uh, Because you really do have to – you have to have companies that will come out uh, like Walmart and say, you know, by by a certain year, um, every product on our shelves needs to be sustainably packaged – uh, you, know, you, have, you have companies like that that are they're sort of putting that stake in the ground um, and then allowing the companies that get compliant to sort of pave the way for everybody to get up to speed. It's going to be interesting to watch that unfold over the next decade because we've, we've I think as a society, we've set a number of very, uh, in some cases, very aggressive goals. But I, I think that's a healthy thing. What what are what are you seeing, um, you know, in, in terms of, of those kinds of endeavors?
1: Yeah, I think you know, one one of my colleagues sent me a, an email one evening. Is like, you know, forty trillion dollars worth of real estate um, has pledged to be net zero by twenty fifty, and that, you know, that's to take a you know that big of a swath of buildings, right, of volume and square footage, and make them net zero, which means you know, produce more energy than they consume. That's not a small, simple feat that that takes, you know, probably taking 50 percent of the current energy load and reducing it to zero, like creating that much efficiency and then getting the other 50 percent probably from solar or wind or geothermal or some other kind of forms of energy. That's a big step. You know, so there's a lot of proclamations, declarations, as I said. But I think the real exciting stuff's going to happen in the next 20 years as we get to to 2040, because some of the new climate pledges are all saying we're going to get to 2050 goals by 2040. Right. There's over 200 companies. I think this week we broke through the 200 uh, realm mark, whether it's Salesforce and and Walmart and Microsoft and Google and Apple. But there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of great, great green products to buy to reduce the carbon load of buildings, a lot of new innovation in concrete and steel. So that's the exciting stuff for us is as we see that kind of a declaration be made, then, you know, now you have a, a CEO to Donna's point, a CFO, probably a COO all working together to figure out how to become more ESG or SDG aligned if they're using the UN guidelines. Well, now, now it's gonna to get to their tiger teams and say, what are we gonna do on the production line? What can we do with the supply chain? And all those questions that ripple through the rest of the economy, that's the exciting stuff. Because if everyone just reduces a little bit as a result of their big customer or their big brand asking for it, that does create a, a massive ripple. And that's gonna be the efficiency wave that we ride. And then you know, technologists will come up with new things better solar panels that do last for 50 years. You know, windmills that can last more than than 20 years in in the center of the country. So we don't have to bulldoze them and, you know, bury them with sand. That was one of the saddest things I saw come through my LinkedIn feed. Like it was a picture of a bulldozer in this massive scale, all these big gigantic wind turbines being covered up because they're they're out of commission. They got to buy new blades, but these just get landfilled essentially. So Land- super green energy product, but we haven't figured out something to do with them. And I'm like sitting in my head going, there's got to be something like, like shade for parking structures. I don't know, like playground equipment. Like it's a huge blade. that's like a hundred, you know, you know, feet long. There's got to be some use, but it's like a biocomposite, I guess. And it's not easy recyclable because it was so strong for so long. Sometimes when you engineer something that's really good, it can't be recycled at the end of its useful life. So.
0: That, that must've been heartbreaking. I, 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 I think of the, the number of uh, my family's been in aviation for a long time. And I think of the number of desks that I've seen at airports made out of old airplane wings. And I'm like, yeah, there's gotta be some kind of cool, like uh, really neat reuse, but you're, you're talking about something on a much larger scale. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: And you know, Paul, how has um, COVID impacted any of these initiatives and the you know how people have benchmarked against you know some of their goals has it um, delayed some of those things or expedited like what was that impact or what have you seen
1: I think it was it's kind of in a couple of different angles I think on the social aspect I think a lot of companies have realized like to keep your employees and to keep them on your team. You got to think about the social aspects of how do you engage your team? How do you keep them motivated? Because a lot of them became dispersed. You didn't have all the team bonding. So companies, I think to keep the best talent, it's it's going to be like a new scale of of how do you do it right? How do you build bonds so they feel like they're part of a team, but a team that doesn't play together as often as maybe they thought. I think that's going to be a challenge on the, on the S side. On the environmental side, a lot of buildings were empty. So we weren't commuting. I love some of the pictures of like, you know, India and China, In parts of the United States, like people weren't driving as much. So one of my friends, we were uh, surfers together at the university of Florida and he lives out in Huntington beach. He sent me a picture from his house in Huntington beach. He's like, I can see the mountains. He could never see through all that smog in the LA area to get to the mountains. But he's like, look at this day. Like, so I think there's a give and a take when we come back, we're probably gonna have to reconfigure cities. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what is that going to do to the real estate market? You know, commercial towers might become half towers and half condos, you know, so but that's going to involve a lot of buying of drywall and glass and furniture and flooring because the commercial building is not the same as, as a residential building. So I think COVID has kind of taught us one thing in terms of our business is that people are going to need to make digital decisions. We're going to be doing a lot more shopping, designing, constructing. A lot more stuff is going to be done virtually like this. And we might not have to travel as much. Like I used to travel 200 nights when I am at Donna working at, for Armstrong. Like I was traveling 200 nights a year. I had 200,000 airline miles every year for you know almost 20 years. I haven't taken a single flight in two years. So my carbon footprint went down. I think I've been doing just as good reaching out to teams and doing work. And our digital solution saves thousands of hours of time because we just provide all the right data to make the right decision. So I think it's going to be interesting what the, the end report looks like done after COVID. But I think there's some amazing pluses. There's some challenges we have to overcome. And it's definitely going to leave it different than when we we went into it. That's for sure.
0: I, the uh, the the part where you talked about your friend, you know, uh, being able to, to see the mountains where he typically hadn't been able to before, um, is is I think a good reminder that we also need to stop once in a while, and look around and see how far we've come, and uh, you know not to not to take our hand off the wheel as a society, but to look around and say you know comparing twenty years ago to now. Uh, we can see a difference. It's encouraging. Absolutely.
2: And to that point, I would say, what are some of the biggest changes in this category that you've seen in the, the two plus decades that you've been working in, in green um, and sustainability?
1: I think what, what I always tell people is I think what I've seen the biggest change from is like 2d to 3d and it's both like in the kind of video games I grew up playing and now, you know, how design and decision-making, honestly, for any product has become three-dimensional. You, you care about the local brew brewing company that makes, you know, their local IPAs. Right. So there's like a, there's almost like a craft. And like, I think what you said is like, stop and appreciate what's around us. And I think we're, we're starting to realize that like there's a lot of really good stuff being done. And if we actually take that same consideration and hold the big companies and the small companies accountable, it actually makes us, I think, feel a little bit more proud about like the economy that we could have if we truly voted with our dollars. Because I think we've realized like the economy flows with what the consumer wants. So if the consumer wants crazy convenience and that's where it's gonna go. But I think a little bit of that was backlash because COVID shut down so many small businesses. And as they started reopening, people like flock to those places, flock to the little restaurant, flock to the little brewery probably Like, yeah, you can go to any circle K or gas station buy like a Budweiser 12 pack. But if you can go get a can of four IPAs that, you know, you meet the guy at the bar and he's the one with the beard and he's the brewmaster. Like you just feel like maybe I can connect with that. And I think something about sustainability and ESG is like making sure you stop and make sure your environmental and your social is really well maintained and appreciated by your company. And I think the only way to do that properly is to actually just stop and like ask your team, ask your customers, ask the people that run the business and say, are we doing a good job of including the people that should be at this table? And I think that, uh, that awareness and appreciation, I think COVID has maybe brought some of that up in, in a lot of people. And we're applying that now to business as we would have maybe won our IPA choices or you know, clothing or whatever we're looking at.
0: I, I do think it's made us smarter and more savvy. Um, you know, and I've mentioned it on this podcast before. Um, I've had more conversations with my family and and acquaintances about supply chains in the last year and a half than I had my entire life prior. And uh, and working in B two B, people finally understand a little bit more, uh, you know, what it is that Donna and I do uh, for a living because they're they're understanding that uh, the refrigerator that they ordered got. You know, backlogged eighteen weeks because of a single microchip that went into yeah. it, uh, and they're understanding you know much more about that. So I also think that it 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 helps us to it helps us to appreciate all of that. But it's it's teaching us more about how to engage the world around us. And you mentioned local breweries and, and stuff like that. Um, I actually heard of restaurants during the initial lockdown that were offering dinner bonds. And it was a way for them to stay in business. They would sell a $100 gift certificate for $75. And you can't have the food right now because we're not open. But come back in six months and you can spend this. And so uh, it was a way for people to actually invest. And I was explaining investing to my kids because of this idea about dinner bonds. And I I liked the fact that you were bringing it down to that local level and thinking in new ways. There's a, a tremendous amount of creativity that's coming forth. Um, and that's the part that's been really energizing for me to see, to see people start to to think that way.
1: Yeah, it, it definitely is going to be a time where there'll be lots of business books written about how business leaders embraced a, a very tumultuous health-related you know pandemic, but also got really, really refined on how they could be very nimble about how their businesses stayed afloat, how they kept teams engaged, how suddenly without any meetings, you still, you know, ran. And I think a lot of people got surprised, like, wow, like our, our company's still around and we haven't been together in one building in, in over a year. I mean, some of the federal clients we do work with, they haven't been back since last February, right? In the same building, like they're all remote for that long a time. So I think it's going to be interesting as what do we do when we have to start coming back and what does that coming back look like? And I think the B2B segment's going to be very much driven by kind of rebuilding those bonds and strengthening them even more, so that we're a little bit more resilient in case there's a supply chain uh, impediment caused by a healthcare pandemic. Right? There's a lot of externalities that all got exposed to everybody very quickly.
0: What advice would you have for people moving into the future? Um, you know, CEOs, leaders, folks like that who are who are looking at this and maybe feeling overwhelmed, uh, but they want to be. They want to take some appropriate risks and try some things. Uh, What advice would you have for somebody who's in that position?
1: I think Donna mentioned it when when she opened up her comments about bringing the team together. I would say, you know, bring in, you know, some folks maybe that are outside your industry that understand the space, facilitate like a a retreat, you know, one or two day, you know, and, and try to figure out a way to do it to where everyone's truly in the room together and ask the different parts of your business. Like, what do you think we could do to make, you know ESG improvements, whether it's the governance, whether it's the environmental, whether it's the social aspects of what we do, and kind of refine that and refine it in, in, the, in the sense of, first and foremost, will it resonate? Will those elements resonate with your customers? Then if those prove to be true and the customers like those, and you do some testing on that, then package that up and say, this is what we're going to do around ESG, for our customers to be happier about our brand and then package that up for the investors i think some companies are like i gotta have an answer for my investor class they make a bunch of declarations or proclamations don't figure out how it actually gets into the actual production line and create value for the customer i I always go back to those brands that you know they have such solid brand followings not just because of esg but just who they are they continue to chug through revenue and profits because of the ethos that they believe in. Like my daughters have never seen Michael Jordan play a game of basketball in his life, but they want Air Jordans and they have for the last five Christmases. And I, as a dad, you know, try to find a way to get them a pair of Air Jordans. And it's because there's an ethos there that, you know, the Jumpman logo means excellence, meets being the best, being the GOAT. And I think if, if we could get people in, in C-suites going, I want to be the, the GOAT of ESG in my industry, and do it for my customers and do it for my investors and all the stakeholders in my business from top to bottom. I think it's a remarkable renaissance that we're going to see because truly, if we unleash that drive, there's no stopping to how much improvements we can make across all those different channels. So I, I agree with, with Donna's point of it's got to be a, a holistic team bringing those ideas to, to bear.
0: Realistically, how risky is that kind of a decision now versus 30 years ago?
1: I think the only risk is not doing it now. I think before it might have been a lot of risky. You know, we don't know. I think anyone that doubts that this generation of, of young people and soon to, to shift into the, the biggest spending group, you know, out there, whether it's I think the, the the highest spending group of the the CFOs, the the typical homemakers of of the households, and then you know their their young young children. Once that shift happens, I think I don't think you could have a business that isn't aligned with. Social and environmental goodness. You know, you might not be the, the the greenest company in the world. Not everyone's going to be a Patagonia or an Interface or a Tarket or a Herman Miller. But if I think if you don't have an answer for how that meets means something to your customers, I think you won't be a business. That I that I'm pretty sure of saying that that's going to
2: happen in the next twenty years.
0: That's that's what I suspected, but it's uh it's it's good to hear it from an expert. Uh, I try.
2: And I, I agree with you. I look at how, I mean, uh, my kids are around the same age as your kids, um, Paul, and you know they're all in their 20s. And they look at the world very differently than I did when I was in my 20s. Um, I'm almost embarrassed to say, you know, they they've grown up in this online, transparent, you know, world where they really they truly care about social and environmental decisions. Yeah. Um, And I think they're going to, and they, they carry that into their work life.
1: Yeah. Where they want to work. Like we've had some amazing new hires uh, of, of, of two young ladies right out of, right out of college and just amazing, amazing additions to our team. They work on client success, uh, Maya and Haley, and just the amount of, of of passion they bring to solving a problem with excellence, you know, making sure our clients as they launch their data into our platform and get out in the market and use it as their advantage to sell more greener stuff, like just the the way that they're wired, they want to exceed expectations, but they also have a drive inside that brings passion to what they do. And I think having a workforce, anytime you can get people in your workforce that are that passionate about your mission and then they become passionate for our client's mission because our software makes them better, right? We're not, we're not the Batman of the story. We're the Alfred of the story. We make the, the cool, you know, cool gadgets that make Batman really become Batman. Uh, so I think to me, that is the next generation's way of saying, we're gonna care about this. We're only gonna go work for companies that are aligned with this. And they also, I think uh, one thing I would add to Donna's point is they can mobilize a massive amount of, of consumer sentiment very quickly. So if you're on their good list, it's going to blow up. It's going to go on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. And you're going to suddenly probably have uh, blessings of, of orders. If you do something that's not so good and they call it out, then it's like, Oh my gosh, you better just, you know, better hope that an entire generation doesn't need your products because if they call you out for doing something that was silly, malfeasant, you know, bad, you know, didn't, you know, you look the other way. I, I don't think, I don't think a lot of brands can recover probably from that, especially if they're, you know, uh, considerable amount of a marketplace that needs, you know, a wide demographic, uh, consumer
0: base. I would have to think that there would be a need, uh, for internal watchdog type folks. And, and we did, I think, touch on that a little bit in some of the, some of these leadership roles, you know, folks that really do keep an eye on this. Um, do you see that being a, a sort of a, a segment of, uh, sort of the job market that's going to continue to grow?
1: Yeah, I think, I think if, if they set up an ESG, you know, Delta Force team, I think there'll be a couple people on that team that will work within the departments and it'll be their job to work with that department leader, whether it's production or supply chain, and say, what can I do to make you better? I know you can't stop the factory. We can't do that. But what can we do to maybe get you, you know, lubrication products that are biodegradable and biopreferred and non, non-toxic? non So if we do have a spill, no one's going to be exposed to anything bad, right? that kind of not so much like a watchdog in terms of, I got to get people in trouble because I think we're all just learning. I think it's more like, how can I help, you know, create creative ideas to help you solve a problem and make us better at this, this avenue or this thing, because ultimately the overall story that you guys as marketers will put together would be like, here are all the nice little, you know, some of our clients like, like to call them like fun facts. Like here's what we did by making this chair with this methodology and not using Chrome plating, we have this kind of a finish, but we used zero mercury in this entire production. We also, because we didn't have to do all the, the dye baths or whatever, we're saving this many hundreds of gallons of water for the fabric you chose for this set of upholstered goods. Like, I think it's those kind of things that come back to reality and go, wow, I can kind of picture 600 gallons, you know? Because a lot of this stuff is very technical. And I don't think if we tell the story in a technical way, the investor or the consumer won't be able to absorb it. But if we break it down into something that's palatable as ultra consumers, like with the, with the capital C, then suddenly it's a lot easier for people to go. Now I understand why, you know, Patagonia or LL Bean was one of the first examples. I was trying to go way back in my, my brain. of like, what, what company like made me think that they took their stuff back because they believed in the quality. And I was like, LL Bean boots. I live in Florida. So we never had that like hunting outfit LLB. But I remember like looking in catalogs of Sears Roebuck and like, if you buy these L.L. Bean boots, like if anything happens, you just send them back. And there was like this little picture of a lady like sewing up a jacket and, and, and giving it back to you like that, like we stand behind our products. I think that's going to become very, very important. And the marketers are going to have to figure out how do they drive that message home.
0: Yeah. If. If somebody uh, wanted to learn more about this, wanted to to be involved in the discussion, uh, wanted to, to engage some resources, where would you send them?
1: I think, you know, there's a lot of really good information on the web, honestly. Like, that's where I, you know, pull information from all the time. So I'll take a look at, you know, their industry segment, look up some of their, you know, co-competitors, look up what they're ranked in ESG. There's there's ESG rankings of, like, who's the best. There's ESG risk rankings. I mean, there's a lot of good like reporting out there. I don't, I don't do investing, so I I don't know that world as much, but I know that there's a bunch of tools out there for investors to kind of look at where everyone rates. And then I think there's also just go on the website. And like you said, there's 60 to 80 page reports for a lot of the leaders in the industry and like read through them. And if you, you know, believe in a company and you like aspire to be like somebody else that's not in your industry, look up their report and see like the things that they've ticked off. Like what structure did they say? energy, water, waste, diversity, inclusion, how they give back to the communities, you know, read through that report and go, what would be true for us if we had to like ad lib this report? And if you ad lib it and you get to 80 pages and you've only created like an intro and an outro and like two infographics, like they probably got to call you guys and say, Hey, I think there's some more stories inside of our company. We might not have gotten them out. And that's kind of where those kickoff meetings with your entire team and go, Hey, what are we doing around energy and water? Because I don't think a lot of manufacturers willingly waste the things that they pay for in the production line. So it's, it's kind of like, where, what have we done? What, where can we make it better? And I bet you there's a lot of ingenuity sitting inside of companies. They just haven't been asked, tell us what we could do better. And I think if you ask your employees, they probably have a lot of ingenious ideas. They just got to have a forum in which it's a safe place to bring those up and, and let management hear. because that's the cheapest idea. I mean, I'm, a recovering consultant, you know, you don't need to always hire somebody for a lot of dollars an hour because it would take me time to learn how it worked. I was, I was friendly enough with with Donna and her team. And I like to go around the factory at Armstrong when we were working there at Armstrong flooring. I like to learn how it got done. It was fascinating to me, like walking when one of those production lines, they're like, Oh my gosh, like there's a lot of steps in this process. I just remember seeing it like already in the box and did not realize how many things had to happen from raw wood coming in one end and the stuff that came out the other. So I think that's the, that's the next big evolution.
0: Yeah. I, I had a similar experience a number of years ago. One of our clients uh, made sustainable rubber flooring and uh, I actually got to, to go through the, the plant in Germany. Uh, and it was interesting to me to see how much of it was uh, hand processed, mm-hmm. you know, how many times there was an individual who was really intimately familiar with what was going on with this, uh, and there's a wealth of intuitive knowledge there that these these folks have gained over years and years and years of working, uh, you know. So, it's I think it's it's very important for companies to be able to tap that that brain trust, uh, you know, even if it's in sometimes the most unlikely places. Um, I'm thinking you could ask questions like what's our most inefficient process? You know, what what process do you wish you could blow up and uh, yeah. and redo and why? Um, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I tell my CEO friends all the time, I said, look, incentivize your ingenuity inside your company. Create a bonus structure and say, look, you know what? If you could save us X amount, we'll give you 5% of all, you know, savings for the first three years of this process. You know, and think about how many people get unleashed to get a bonus like that if they can make the process better or, or greener. And yeah. you're right, there's so much... There's so much locked in. One thing about like the sustainability movement that I'm really happy to be be tackling with Ecomedies and my team is that we've democratized so much of that knowledge you needed to have after tons of classes and paying for this and paying for that. We automate almost all that work. So if you just want to know how this product will help you meet any of the rating systems in North America, you click a couple buttons, the answer's out. It's not to say you don't have to do any more work. But that tedious work of finding the data, analyzing the data, documenting the data, that's automated for you. Now think about the bigger, higher-order problem to go solve. So I think the democratization of some of that should should happen, and the solutions are going to come from within. In most cases, I think, even if you bring in a really high-powered consultant to come in and help maybe run the process, you'd be surprised at how much amazing stuff is probably locked into those questions you would ask and go, huh. Why do you, you bring this up? And it's like, well, we didn't have a forum to do that. I didn't want to rock the boat or whatever. And so we just got to kind of create a more welcoming environment. And I think, you know, especially on the social side, I think a lot of people inside of companies would be saying, yeah, I, I think this person would be great for a promotion, right? So I think it's, it's just breaking down some of those walls, creating safe spaces to have those discussions and all of us striving for ESG. It's going to be a wonderful uh, next 20 years for sure.
0: That's great. Donna, any final thoughts before we, uh, before we end our conversation today?
2: No, I think we covered a lot of it today. We covered a lot of ground.
0: Yeah. Um, How about you, Paul, anything you'd want to leave our our audience with before we, uh, before we say goodbye? No, I think just,
1: you know, try to simplify the sustainability, you know, messaging to where any one of your customers or the investors can understand it, like bring it back down to tangible things I think that's the best advice I can give. I think there's a lot more work to do there, but if you can simplify it so that everyone understands it, it also helps people know what you care about, and then further improve it because it's never an ending journey. Like we're always, yeah. you know, evolving this whole message. So,
0: well, I, I know simplification takes effort. It it really truly does uh, to cut through the clutter, to make things efficient, to make things understandable. Uh, but I think the dividends that it pays are, are well worth the effort. I'm sure you would agree.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because we get a better planet as a result. You know, That's the nice thing. We have better operational organizations, we have better companies, and we have a better planet to live on. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a very noble, noble task to be involved with.
0: Yeah, and every once in a while we can look around and realize how much better we can see the mountains, right? <laughs> exactly. Excellent.
1: Good luck with your project.
0: Hey, uh, thank you. I, I'm looking forward to getting it done so that I can have a wonderful space to, uh, to be in the backdrop here. Um, but yeah, if I have any questions about uh, about any of my materials or, or any of it, I'll, I'll be sure to shoot you an email, okay?
1: Yeah, feel free to do it and, or go to our website and I'll, I'll send you a link to whatever category of products that you might be looking for and say, here's the, the best ones with the most transparent certificates from a third party that, that is valid in the industry.
0: I love that. I love it. Thank you very much, Paul. Appreciate Thank your time you, today. Thank you, Donna, for for coming with us and uh, for introducing us to
2: Paul. Absolutely. You,
0: marketing to Complex Industries has been presented by Godfrey, a B2B marketing agency for industries like yours. Godfrey is built for technical products, discerning buyers, and intricate buying cycles. For more information, visit us at godfrey.com.